Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. We're going to finish off um, our series in the Gospel of John. And if you're in 21, it looks like John didn't know how to end the story. He just, so he tells a story about fishing or something like that. Y'all ever met anybody that doesn't know how to end stories? Or you ever heard a sermon, they just don't know how to land the plane? Like somewhere else, not here. Um, you ever, they just, they're just like, all right, finish, you know, that kind of thing. Well, John ends in a way that makes you feel like he didn't know what to say. It's like, ah, here's a story about fishing. But there's really a lot of meaning behind it. It really is. Uh, primarily what John is trying to do is to communicate that in this moment, Jesus is passing off the mantle of leadership to Peter. All right, Jesus is going to ascend. Earthly church has been started. There's going to be a lot of crazy stuff happen. Peter is going to be uh, the primary leader among equals there in the early church. And that's where you get all of this feed the sheep, shepherd the lambs sort of language in there. It's, it's, it's extremely clear. That's what's going on there. But as part of that, if you were in the early church and you were reading along in this story you, and you look up and you go like, well, okay, Peter's in charge, right? I mean, he's kind of running this thing and uh, he was a disciple of Jesus. But if you're reading the story, you go, didn't he deny Jesus like three times? I'm not sure we should be following this guy. He didn't make it all the way to the end. And, and so what John is trying to do is say, Peter is the leader among equals and that yes, he denied Jesus, but there was restoration. That's what's happening. That's what's happening in the ending here. It's not just a random story about fishing. It really does help to transition the, the life of Jesus to the beginning of, of the early church. In the midst of that, within that context, there on the lake shore, as Jesus is having breakfast with them, we see this beautiful case study, this just really applicable story about restoration and, and forgiveness and restoring a friendship. We see the way Jesus offers restoration to his friend. Not this last week, but the week before, I was at Walmart over on Skyline. Lots of, lots of good people watching at that Walmart, if you know what I mean. And um, I was over there and, and uh, I was shopping a little bit with one of the boys. I was get, grabbing some stuff. We were walking down the aisle and this lady comes around the corner like she's running from somebody. I don't think she was actually running from somebody, but she was moving that fast. And she slams her buggy or her cart if you're a Yankee, into um, the side of my leg, just slams it just straight into the side of my leg, hurt my ankle, hurt my leg, all this kind of stuff. I went home and I was limping around trying to get sympathy, but it didn't work. So I, uh, I just walked normal because it didn't hurt that bad, but it hurt at the time, hurt pretty bad. And um, after she hit me, she reaches over and just grabs my arm like forcefully and is apologizing profusely. You know, she's so sorry about it and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, ma'am, you just slammed that buggy into my leg and now you're touching me. Why are, why, this ain't working. You're just digging a hole, you know, and she's apologizing. But she's a stranger, I don't know who she is. I don't know this person. So I just, whatever, uh, bygones, water under the bridge, isn't it? Isn't it strange? Isn't it funny the way that somebody can harm us, like a stranger, they can harm us in some way, offend us, maybe even physically harm us in some small way, and we will just let it go. No big deal. But someone we love, someone we're married to, somebody in their, they harm us, 
and, and oh, they're dead to us now, you know. We're gonna get a brand new friend, brand new child, something like that, you know. We just, we don't do that. Like you harm me and I don't know really how to deal with it. I don't, I don't know how to, how to go forward in this relationship. A friend of mine reminded me this week about the way in which we will be so loyal. Stick it out through the, through the thick and the thin with like a sports team. And believe me, I know this. For over 20 years, I've been a Dallas Cowboys um, fan and, and it doesn't matter what they do. I still, I, I just come back for more punishment. Every, every single year I do that. But, you know, one person offends us and I'm not going to that church no more. Somebody says something, it doesn't go my way. I'm not going there. I'm going I'm to walk out. I'm going to go to Sunday school and then skip the preaching. You know, that's, that's what we do. And we can do that at work. We can do that in, in, in social circles. We can do that in, in relationships. We can do that in church over and over and over. We just don't know how to handle, how to respond, how to deal with when somebody harms us, when they offend us. Jesus in this story really paints this beautiful picture about the way in which he responded to someone harming him. He does something um, different when someone does something offensive or hurtful. So let's pray about it and then we will look at this story and see the way in which Jesus himself offers um, restoration to this future leader. God, thank you for today and this weekend we celebrate those who sacrificed everything so that we could enjoy this, uh, this blessing it is to live in this country with these freedoms. I pray that we would be in a spirit of gratitude, that we would pause for a moment, a moment to know that they sacrificed, but that truly you are the one who blesses. May we as citizens, may those who are our leaders, not squander away these freedoms, not abuse these freedoms, but instead may we somehow, through your grace, turn back to you, toward you, to glorify you. May, may others see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. God, and we know one of those things is that, that we will be or we are offended. So today, God, I pray that we would, this word would become alive to us. We could see you on that seashore, on that lakeside shore, and that we would walk out of here more equipped to lean toward grace, to offer kindness, to offer love, and if we are in a position to do so, to offer correction. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So John ends with uh, a story about Peter. Uh, primarily, he's the main character there, but most of John, the Gospel of John, doesn't really address Peter as in much detail as Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. We get a lot more details from the other three writers there and even later on in Peter's uh, life. But it's important for us, or at least helpful for us, to look back and kind of see the storyline in which we end up with this guy named Simon Peter. Cephas is uh, another one of his names. One day Jesus is walking along the side of the lake, just like in this story, and that's on purpose. You're supposed to see those two parallels there. He's walking alongside the sea uh, or the lake shore there, and he sees, he sees Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, you know, follow me and I will make you a, a fisher of men. He was a fisherman and Jesus is going to call him into ministry, to call him to uh, bring the good news to other people. And Peter does. Peter follows him, he leaves everything behind and he follows Jesus and he is good at it. He's one of the very best there is. He's there for all the highs and the lows. Peter is the man. He is a great hero in our faith. He really is. 
He hears all of, uh, of Jesus' most impactful teaching. He he's there for some of the unique miracles. Some of the miracles, Peter's the only one to witness them. When Jesus is on the mountaintop, he's one of the ones that are there to witness Jesus, hanging out with, with Moses and Elijah. He's the only one to walk on the water besides Jesus. Peter does amazing things. He is, he is selected and primed and taught to be the next leader of this human church, of this church that Jesus is founding. Really great friend of Jesus. And yet he messes up. And he messes up in a Peter level sort of way, right? Just, I mean, everything he does, he does all the way. And he really messes up in a time in which Jesus is most vulnerable in a time in which his friend is arrested, being physically, emotionally, and um, psychologically abused overnight in a mock trial, which will result in his murder. During that moment, Peter denies even knowing him, rejects the idea of even knowing him. And the Bible says that Jesus told him he would do that and he would do it before the rooster crows in the morning. And it also says that when he, when he denied him that third time, the rooster crowed and Jesus and Peter's eyes lock. He got caught rejecting Jesus. And listen, most of us, and I think Rightfully so. I think most of us would say, that's just a bridge too far. When I needed you most, you bailed. When I was really there in the heat of it, you walked away. For most of us, that experience would have killed the relationship, right? I mean, honestly, most of us would no longer call Peter one of our friends. And yet Jesus does die. He does resurrect by his own power. He defeats death by death. And then he appears to Mary. Then later on in the evening there, he appears to all of the disciples in that room, in that locked room. And apparently sometime after that, Peter says to the group, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go fishing. And he's such a leader that at least seven other people all say, you know, I'm going to go with you. They go with him. They fish all night long. And that next morning as they are approaching the shoreline, they see a person there on the shore and they don't recognize them, but it turns out, to be Jesus. Jesus is sitting there. Jesus is standing there. He's built a charcoal fire. That's important and intentional. He built a charcoal fire and he's preparing fish for the disciples. They recognize him and they have breakfast. Now, I mean, it would be amazing, right? To see Jesus preach, to witness Jesus preach, to witness his miracles. It'd also be pretty cool for Jesus to make you breakfast, right? A fish breakfast, that's better than Gordon Ramsay making you something up there. And Jesus is doing some magic with some fish, that sort of stuff. That's what he does. This breakfast is where this story takes place. John chapter 21, verse 15. The word of God says this. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. And the second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. He told him. And he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. He's annoyed. He's a, little, he's a little frustrated that he asked, that Jesus asked him for a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said to him. And truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this, Jesus says this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after say, saying this, he told him, 
follow me. Peter does die, uh, eventually dies a martyr's death, tied to a cross and, and crucified upside down. Jesus is predicting the way that Peter would die. In this story, we see Jesus' response to Peter's rejection. Jesus responds to Peter's rejection and it, and it, and it sets a path. It, it sets a mold, a standard by which we could look at that and go, how ought I to respond when I feel rejected? Now, remember, the main point that John is trying to communicate here is leadership and uh, trust in that leadership. But at the very least, we can look at this and ask ourselves, if I were to be like Jesus, if I were to be a Jesus follower, how ought I to respond when I feel rejected? The first thing that I see, first out of three, the first thing that I see is that Jesus responds kindly, kindly. All over the Bible, there are these moments in which meals are shared and they are more than just a meal. It's something, it's really odd to me. When we read the Bible, we'll read how often Jesus goes to meal. They're eating here, they're eating there. All these kind of uh, festivals and these feasts, that sort of stuff. And we don't really grasp the idea that these are celebrations that are all about family and all about the relationships. It's odd to me because it's definitely a part of their culture, but it's also a part of our culture. This is the way that we celebrate, right? Anytime that we get together, if we're celebrating something or someone, we will most often do that with a meal, right? So like if you graduate from something or somewhere, then, then, then everybody gets together and you go to dinner together. If it's your birthday, you get to pick the place where everybody eats. If it's your anniversary, you go eat at that place. Even if it's just like this small hole in the wall, but it's the place that you ate at that very first time and that's where you eat. Why? Because you're celebrating one another around a meal. That's what we do. We celebrate around meals. Meals mean family. Meals mean relationship. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this story. It could have been that that night when Jesus appears in the room with the, with the other disciples behind that locked door, Jesus very, could, very easily could have pulled Peter off to the side and said, hey, listen, you and I need, we need to talk about some things. And Peter would have known exactly what it was that they needed to talk about. And listen to me, I think that's a valid way to do it. Maybe it is that you have a coworker or a friend or somebody that you need to pull off to the side and say, hey, we need, to, we need to talk about some stuff. I'm not saying that that's not a justified way to do it. I'm just saying that perhaps Jesus is showing a better way to do it in which he approaches the situation, which he approaches Peter by um, around a meal, communicating togetherness or relationship, not opposition towards one another. It's not only that he does this around a relational standard, this kindness around a relational standard of a meal, but he also does this with um, efforts. It's not just eating, there's effort involved. There's nothing that makes us assume that Jesus didn't catch these fish himself. Throw a line in or a net, he caught these fish, pulled them out, and then he cleaned them, and then he prepared that charcoal fire, then he prepared those fish, he cooked a meal for Peter and for his other friends there. There was effort put into this extension of kindness. Jesus needed to talk to Peter. He knew what he was going to talk about. And so he goes through the effort of making sure that what he's communicating through everything else and his words were relationship, were effort, where you and I are together on this. I love you and we are together on this. There's another act of kindness that I see here in Jesus's actions. And, uh, and it's consistent with the rest of Jesus' teaching. There's another act of kindness where I see that Jesus goes directly to Peter. Now, 
We, we joke about it a couple times about how Peter and, or, or Jesus and John seem to be closer than, than Jesus and Peter, and that's, that's cool, that's fine. Um, maybe they were closer based on personalities or whatever it was, but there's nothing about this that says that Jesus went and talked to John about Peter first. Peter's in the wrong, but Jesus goes and talks to the person first. And he does that because that's what he preached. Jesus practiced what he preached. Matthew chapter 18 says that if somebody has an offense against you or you have an offense against somebody else, then you go to that person first. You talk to them directly. It's amazing to me how often Christians, even Christians in positions of leaderships, don't practice what it is that Jesus told us to do. There is absolutely no justification to go and talk to a bunch of other people about the offense somebody else has maybe done in your mind. That's what the Bible calls gossip, and it's a sin. Jesus has something he needs to talk to Peter about, and so he talks to Peter about it. It's kindness. Jesus' approach to this restoration is kindness. And maybe I have um, told you, that, you this before, and maybe some of you are like this. Think about this. Are you like this? I'm tempted to be this way, but... Um, ministry and pastoring has kind of made me to where I can't be this way. Are any of you the way that like, if you have something wrong with somebody else, like, like there's a beef between you, words were said, okay? And, and you know you need to address it, but you don't want to because you feel awkward. You don't want to talk about it because you feel awkward. So you'll just go get in proximity of that person. You just get close enough to them to see if they're still growling or if they're mad. Like if you walk by her and she goes, then you know she's still mad, all right? She's still mad. But if you walk over and say, hey, do you want one of my Chick-fil-A waffle fries? And she eats it, then it's fine. It's good. You're, you're accepted back into the fold, you know, that sort of stuff. Anybody else like that? You don't want to talk about it. It makes everything awkward. You're afraid it'll get all brought back up. So, so you just get within proximity of them and just kind of see, you float something out there like a fry and see if she accepts it. And then you're good. I'm tempted to do that. Maybe Jesus was tempted to do that, but I'm thankful he doesn't. He doesn't just offer the fish meal and step back and see how things are going to go. He actually talks about it. And look at this conversation. It's not only that Jesus' response to Peter's rejection is kind, it's also loving. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Over and over, three times, do you love me? Peter responds three times, yes, Lord, you know that I that I love you. Now, I've never heard a sermon on this text that doesn't really highlight the differences in these two words. Jesus is saying the word, uh, do you love me? Do you, do you have a God-like love for me? And Peter is responding by saying, yes, I have a brotherly love for you. Do you have a God-like love for me? I have a brother-like love for you. And there is some beauty. There's some, there's some truth and some depth to really meditating on that. And what is the difference in those commitments? However, most biblical scholars agree that they're just really using synonyms here. It's the same thing when he says, feed the sheep and feed the lambs. It's just synonymous. It's not so much the extent or the kind of love or the character of the love. It's just that the relationship is committed toward one another. That love is the basis of this relationship. That love is a driving factor. Jesus isn't instead trying to prove that he is right and that Peter is wrong. How often do we finally get to that conversation, finally get to that coffee, finally get to that lunch occasion, and all we want to do is make sure that the other person knows that they're in the wrong? That's not what Jesus is trying to do here at all. He's trying to restore the relationship. He's trying to make it right. Now, here's the part 
that uh, we can debate on. Y'all ready? Y'all want to pick sides? Um, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? More than these. Now, this is not a major doctrine. You can go to heaven and disagree on these things. But in, tri- in, in typical American way, let's all just pick one and then act like the other ones are kicked out of the church. All right? You can get on Twitter and call them heretics if you want. So I'll give you three options, and then you pick the one you want, and then you defend that until you die. All right? So the first one, when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He could be referring to uh, the fish and the tackle and the boats. Jesus could be saying, do you love me more than your boat? And there's probably some spouses in here right now that have wondered that same thing. Does he love me more than that boat? Does he love me more? Sometimes Jackie wonders if I love her more than that truck. And that's ridiculous. I do love her, not significantly more, but I do love her more. It's measurable. There's a measurable difference. Do you love me more than this stuff? Do you love me more than what you have acquired? Do you love me more than what you're good at? And listen, I, I think that Peter probably went fishing the same way that a lot of, a lot of you go fishing. Uh, it's like a stress relief. It's, it, there's, uh, there's, you can accomplish what you want to accomplish. There's, there's a release from the, the daily stresses in life. And he's good at it. And so Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't acting like his hobby or his profession or anything like that's wrong. That's not the point. He's asking, do you love me more than that? That's theory number one. So I mean, you can hold that one. Another one is, do you love me more than you love these guys? These guys, some of them are your, are your siblings, some of them are family. Do you love me more than your friends, more than those you grew up with, more than these relationships that you had, more than your boys? Do you love me more than that? That's another theory. Another theory is, do you love me more than these guys love me? Just a few, just a few days ago, you said you would fight for me. Just a few days ago, you said you would die for me. Just a few days ago, you were willing to cut off an ear, but then one girl at one fire asked you if you know me, and you said, no. They didn't do that. I mean, they all ran, except for John. He was still standing there. They ran, but do you love me more than they love me? When Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He's talking about the fishing equipment, the profession, the life, the hobby, his friends, his family, or to the extent to which he loves you. You pick one of those. My theory is that Jesus is such a master communicator, such a great communicator that he implied all of it. Jesus says, do you love me more than earth? Do you love me more than all the things? I think that's what Jesus is communicating in that moment. And, And Peter responds three times. Um, to the point of exhaustion, frustration, he responds three times. He says, yes, I do. I am committed to you, Christ. I am full committed to you. Here's the deal. I believe him. I believe Peter. When Peter says, yes, I am absolutely committed to you more than everything that I've ever owned, more than anything that I've ever done, more than these people, more than I love them, more than they love you, I am committed. I believe him. I believe that he meant that. And I believe that Jesus believes him. So here's the deal. Peter is a Jesus follower. It's just sometimes he didn't act like it. And isn't that encouraging to us? Because I know that there's few of you that always act like you're a perfect Jesus followers. But the rest of us, we mess up sometimes. We mess up sometimes. And man, we could beat ourselves up about that. We really can't get down about it. This guy is a straight up hero of our faith. Love Jesus and sometimes messed up. Do you love me more than these? We need to be careful. We need to 
keep that in mind that Peter is telling the truth, that he is deeply committed. The end goal for Jesus is not to show Peter that he was wrong, but to show, Jesus, or to show Peter that the relationship has been restored. We need to be quick not to redefine people based on one mess up. They say one thing wrong. They do one thing we don't like, and all of a sudden we redefine the entire relationship. And we cut them out of the equation. Jesus approaches Peter's rejection. He responds to Peter's rejection in kindness and in love and in correction. It's not helpful not to deal with the issue. What did Peter actually do? What was the problem? What was the issue at hand here? Well, it's just like when he was walking on water. You remember that? Jesus approaches the boat. They're all scared. They're yelling. Um, Jesus says, it's me, it's me. Peter says, if it is you, tell, tell me to come out there. I'll come out there with you. Jesus said, come on, get out of the boat. Peter got out, walked on water. Everything's going fine until the wind and the waves distracted Peter. Then he began to sink. Same thing happened that night. Peter says, I'll fight for you. I'll die for you. I'll cut off this dude's ear for you. And then the fire got hotter. The storm got louder. The winds started howling. And Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and started thinking about himself. That night, Peter's eyes were on his own self-preservation. Jesus needs to get him back on track. That's what he needs to do. It's unloving just to leave things unresolved. Remember, like I told you earlier, sometimes we're so tempted to just get in proximity of people and see if they're still mad and then it's fine. But that's not the right thing to do. You got to go the step further. You got to actually identify the problem and correct the problem or else you're just doomed to repeat it or somebody's going to carry something with them. You got to identify it, correct it, and keep on going or else it's just going to be a problem. Some of us would have been tempted to say, Peter, if you read earlier on than this text that we read here, Peter recognizes that it's Jesus, jumps in the water and swims 100 yards, a football field length. They swam that in the lake to get to Jesus. And some of us would say, oh, he made breakfast and he swam that distance. Everybody's good. We don't need to, we don't need to bring this up anymore. It's awkward when we do. But Jesus doesn't. He actually corrects him. He actually spends time making it right. And conversely, guys, listen, we got to be, we got to be more mature. We're, we are such a soft country. We're such a soft group of Christians that when anybody steps in and sets boundaries or sets clear expectations or says, this isn't going to happen anymore, then we begin to think that that person is ungodly. We think, well, shouldn't you act more like Jesus and just forgive and forget? This is acting like Jesus. This is the way that you have to do it. It is not loving to just leave things unresolved. Somebody has to step in and say, this went wrong. This is how we correct it. And in two ways, Jesus corrects that. In two ways, he corrects. The first one, he says, all that stuff about feed the lamb, shepherd the sheep, all that sort of things. See, if I were Peter, everything in me would want to run. Everything. I just rejected Jesus three times. They killed him and then he's back. That's great, but I can't lead these people. I know that he was acting like I was going to. I know that he was teaching me like I was going to. I know I was right there like one of his, one of his sidekicks, one of his buddies, like I was going to lead these people. Eventually I was gonna help and lead them, but I ain't doing this, I'm going fishing. I'm gonna run back and go fishing. And what Jesus says over and over and over is that you were made for more than just where you are comfortable. You were, you were taught to do much more than just what naturally comes easy to you. I want you to go lead. I want you to 
to fulfill the purpose that you were created to do, right? That's what he tells them. And then he says, and then you need to follow me. Remember, Peter got off track, and this is what Jesus has been saying since the very beginning. Same shoreline, same lake. Jesus says, hey, follow me. It's like I told you three years ago. You need to follow me. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. John 12, verse 26, if anyone saves me, he must, or serves me, he must follow me. What Peter did in the denial, what he possibly did with the with the, uh, the fishing is that he walked his own path. He chased after his own wayward heart. He went after the expectations of other people. And Jesus needs to correct that. He loves them. They're friends, but he needs to get them back on path. And Jesus is in a position to do so. Let me make something very clear here. And this is important. We've got to get this clear. You got, you, if you walk out and you don't understand this part, then I, then I messed up the whole thing. Peter's sin, Peter's sin of denying Jesus was forgiven at the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, all the penalty for that sin was taken upon himself. He made that all right in the cross and in the resurrection. Peter swam to breakfast forgiven for his sin. And that's the same good news gospel message that you have. That's the same um, invitation that you have. On the cross, the penalty the guilt, the debt for every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit has been forgiven if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And Peter trusts Jesus. You have to trust him. If you do not trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're carrying a burden that you can't carry. You're shouldering a weight that you can't shoulder. You owe a debt you can't pay. Peter swam to breakfast forgiven. And, however, actions have consequences. And there is collateral damage. He swam to shore forgiven, but the relationship had to be restored. We forget that sometimes. We think that like, well, they're forgiven, so everything's made right. No, you got, there's forgiveness, and then there's making everything right. Our sinful actions have um, rippling damages that have to be put back together. Relationships have to be restored. Jesus is modeling that here. Peter is forgiven at the cross, but he restored him at breakfast. N.T. Wright wrote this, from a legal point of view, parenthesis, not to the extent that legal points of view are helpful here. John sometimes speaks like that, and so does Paul, but law is not the only thing that is at stake here, in parenthesis. That may be fine. There is nothing officially on record against us, but there may still be plenty of our, in our memories and imaginations old failings, old sores, old wounds, like a computer with a faulty, uh, a computer with a faulty and virus-ridden software on a hard disk. We need to have it dealt with before we can operate to the maximum efficiency once more. There's forgiveness, and then there is restoration. What we're watching on this lakeshore is restoration. And I am so thankful that we see that. It's not... It's not like the story ends with, and then he's made innocent. The story goes, he's made innocent and the relationship is restored. And I need that part right there. I need that part for me. I need that part for 
us. So when I watch this story, when I walk away from this lakeshore, here's what I'm committed to doing. Here's what I'm challenged to try to do better. It's I need to lean toward grace. We need to lean toward grace. This is an example to follow, no doubt. We have to try to be like Jesus. And when people do what is wrong, we need to lean toward reconciliation. And I say lean because there are factors that we can't be too naive or too simplistic to ignore. I don't know how the conversation would have gone if Peter denied doing anything wrong or if that he just kept repeatedly, repeatedly doing these things wrong or if he tried to hide it when he did things that were wrong. I don't know how that conversation would have gone. I do believe in boundaries and consequences, and I believe that they are Christian to do so. We need to lean toward grace. Doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for our actions. You may need to break up with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend. You may need to find a new job or join a different team. You can do that forgiven, and there are still repercussions for what took place, the actions that took place. There needs to be restoration on another level. And this text also isn't a formula. I'm not saying, it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. I'm not saying that if somebody harms you, step one, make them a nice fish breakfast. That's not, that's not what Jesus is illustrating here. It is a, a disposition. It's an effort and a starting point. Lean toward visible, tangible kindness. Lean toward the goal of restoration. And then if you are in a position to do so, correction. Be kind, be loving, and correct if you are in that position to do so. And man, that is hard to do, right? Somebody harms you, you don't wanna, you wanna make them food. You don't wanna be kind. You wanna make them pay, whatever that is, whatever the circumstances is, we need to do that. That's what Jesus models for us. And as tough as that is, and many of us struggle with that part, I find that many of us often struggle with the other side of it. And that's accepting forgiveness, of being forgiven, of receiving it, of being restored. I don't see any signs here that Peter pursued reconciliation or forgiveness. Maybe the swimming towards shore was a sign of that. Maybe there's some things in here. If you read the very end of the chapter, there's a lot that we don't know. But maybe, maybe that, that night that Jesus shows up in the room, and everybody's screaming, ah, it's a ghost. You know, all that kind of stuff. Remember, Bartholomew is like, you've got to stop that. And then they, they, they start eating. Maybe Peter pulls Jesus off to the side and he goes, listen, I am so sorry. I am so, so sorry. Maybe he said that. Maybe he went toward reconciliation. I don't know when it happened, but I am confident that it did happen. Because all throughout scripture, what we learn all throughout Jesus' teaching is that grace is free. Forgiveness comes with repentance. To be forgiven, to forgive others, we need to recognize when we do wrong and then change. You have to say that was wrong and I'm not doing it anymore. That's what's needed toward forgiveness. That's why the Bible repeatedly says, repent, turn away and believe. Like last week, fear has this way of trapping us and guilt can do the same thing. Once you've been forgiven, once you've been restored, you have to walk in that forgiveness. You have to accept the reality that you are now restored and it's fine. I see this happen to many of you. I see this happen to many Christians where we can't, where we can't accept that we too are forgiven. You have to let yourself be forgiven. Guilt will choke the life out of you 
and keep you just fishing when you should be shepherding. That's not good. I want you to picture something with me in your mind. We'll close with this. I want you to picture something in your mind. Jesus and the disciples, are, they, they have that breakfast. They're great breakfast. Lots of laughing, all that kind of stuff. Jesus, Jesus and Peter and John. Peter tries to say something smart right after this text and Jesus corrects him and it's a whole John-Peter thing. All that's going on and then Peter walks away. Peter picks up his net. The other disciples pick up their net and they walk away and the story marches on. The timeline keeps going. And Peter listens to Jesus. He takes that mantle of leadership and he becomes the leader. He preaches on this Sunday, this Sunday, 50 days after Easter, we call this Pentecost Sunday. And it's on this Sunday that's commemorated the idea that the Holy Spirit fell. Peter preaches the gospel, repent and believe, be baptized. And over 3,000 people come to know Jesus as their Savior. Peter heals a guy outside of the temple. Peter stands up to the people who killed Jesus and says, you killed the Messiah. You did that. But if you repent and believe, he will forgive you. Believe me. He's really good at forgiving. He will forgive you. He goes on to lead in controversies that happen in the church. He helps to make all of that right. He's one of the first, if not the first, to extend the gospel out to Gentiles, to us, to people like us. Outside of the Jews, he extends the gospel out. Peter becomes this legendary hero of the faith. He is the, the leader among the equals in that New Testament church. Later on, he's going to write a book. He writes a book and he sends it out to the other shepherds. And to the other shepherds, he says, listen, elders, I'm one of you guys. Listen, here's the thing that we need to do. Shepherd God's flock. That's what he says. And that's so amazing to me. It's so beautiful to me because neither Jesus nor Peter were shepherds. One's a carpenter. One's a fisherman. But both of them have this idea in their mind. This is leadership. Where do you think Peter got the idea to write in his own book, Shepherd God's Flock? I'd bet you money he got that idea on, a, on the shoreline of a lake one day. Peter does exactly what Jesus told him to do. For the next 40 years, he leads that church. He leads the church. And every morning, every morning, Peter wakes up to a rooster crow. Every morning that rooster crows and Peter wakes up. And if Peter's like me, if Peter's like some of you, he couldn't help it. But some mornings that thought runs through his mind. Remember that rooster crow where I denied Jesus three times? How many billions of times do you think he replayed that story in his mind where he answers it right? He hears a rooster crow and there's this sting of guilt. There's this pain of rejecting the Savior every morning for 40 years. And then he has breakfast. There is the rejection and breakfast is Jesus's response. He makes his mercies new every morning. I rejected Jesus and he restored that relationship. I just picture that every morning for the next 40 years, the rooster crows, he has breakfast. He smiles, thanks God, and then he goes and shepherds the lambs. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family.
Thank you for listening.